I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Art Attack. And to everybody out there, I just want to let you know that Lizzie Dastin, professor extraordinaire, PhD, just art historian, veteran, cagey veteran. Urgh, <laughs> urgh. Is that me in a cage? No, just like, you know, one of the, just, you know what a cagey veteran is? It's like the old basketball dude on the court who's 40 years old, who can't really jump anymore. He's got no vertical, but he elbows you in the ribs on the way. You know, and then he just gets <laughs> enough space to just, to just do a layup on you. That's a cagey veteran. He'll use anything he can in his arsenal to get ahead. That's how you are. You're a cagey veteran art historian. <laughs> Thank and you. myself, Bua, Justin Bua, please follow us on Instagram at Art Attack Podcast and make sure to leave us a comment because we do this for the love, not the money. Although if y'all want to sponsor us, the money's not a bad thing. <laughs> but seriously, we do it for the love. We really do. We love art. We love the history of art. We think it's important, it's invaluable, and it's not taught enough. And it's not taught freely. And there's also just really just not enough understanding that art history is so completely fundamental to history, to spirituality, to everything. It coincides. I've learned most of my history through the vehicle of art history. I have too. And I think especially in this time of an embrace of the concept of intersectionality, in order to understand other cultures, in order to understand other times, understand other times, we have to be able to embrace the art, know the art, decode the art. And it's such a wonderful conduit for the opening of the world. That's right. And yeah, and it's been really meaningful to me. And unfortunately, I think art history still has that that maybe reputation that it's elitist or it's only available to certain people, certain groups, certain communities of certain economic status. And we don't think that's true. We want all of this information to be, be available to anybody who's interested in learning. That's right. And that there's a reason why when NASA sends stuff into outer space to stuff. You like how I say that? Just cover it. Cover, stuff covers everything. When they send those machine satellite those flying, flying things. things into the universe, uh, they send art there because art is a universal language that will eventually, when there is other life that we connect with, they're going to look at the paintings. Oh, and they're going to be like, oh, I get that. I totally get that. I, I didn't know that, but art is a portal. And it's so illustrative of humanity and so we just want to connect everybody and open up the world in whatever way we can. That's right. So today, pause your uh, phones, whatever you're listening to this on, and write us a review. Uh, if you have iTunes, it's super simple. And if you have something else, figure out a way or follow us at Art Attack Podcast. So today, Lizzie, we're going to talk about the origins of photography, which I know nothing about. <laughs> but I will tell you a little story, anecdotal story. When I was at LaGuardia High School of Music and Performing Arts, I took my first photography class. The first assignment was to make a pinhole camera. So I took one of those Quaker Oats, uh, you know. Yeah, the circular. The circular containers. little cardboard containers with, with oats. And I put a pin in it, and it's called a pinhole camera, right? This is before Camera Obscura. So I put a pin in it, and I think I put film in it, and, you, and that allows light to come in. And 
create an image. And that was the first time I was ever, I couldn't believe it, by the way. It was like really the most simple thing ever. And I was like, I'm a photographer, but obviously I wasn't. But that was, that was created like forever ago. And we're going to talk about the history of it, but I just remember that I have a little bit of experience uh, with the camera. And certainly with my own work, I use the camera all the time. I am by no means a good photographer. I'm a great photographer. No, I'm kidding. I'm not a good photographer <laughs> at all. Everybody's a photographer. Everybody's a photographer. And now if they have the iPhone 11 or whatever, everyone's like, yeah, I take really good photos, man. And it is true. Now it's just ubiquitous, these camera things. But people take for granted the fact that at one point in time, we had no camera. Right. And I think that is the meat of what makes the study of this subject so enriching, because unlike with the history of painting, which has gone back as far as we have, the history of photography is relatively recent. And it was only patented in 1839, which is definitely modern society, modern mm. history. And so because of that, we get to sink into the ideology of what makes a photograph a photograph. How did it change from the beginning when it was conceptualized to now when we're in a post-photographic era of the digital space? And so I think that's really exciting. And my first question to myself in trying to consume this material is what is a photograph? Because if you really ask yourself this, I think you'll play devil's advocate for yourself and realize that a photograph has no fixed identity. And that, to me, is what's important to note. Is a photograph... I feel like I'm tripping on acid right now. Like, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I never thought of that before. But it's true. Like, what is a photograph? And I started thinking, who am I? Why am I? Yeah. (laughs) But that's such a fun rabbit hole that we can't really do with painting. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, Okay, so uh, let me ask you. What's a photograph? Uh, it's a representation of something or someone that you that you take on a on a mechanical device. Okay, so what about cameraless photography, where you have a sensitized piece of paper mm-hmm. and then you put a leaf on it and you leave it outside? There's no machine in that. That's a waste and that's of a time. Photograph. No, I'm kidding. Um, that is. What do you mean? That's a photograph. I guess that would be a photograph. That's a photograph. That's a well, cameraless that's a- photograph. So that would also be a representation of something, some object. But you said with a machine, and so I'm just... With that, then, with, then that would be with a piece of film. Same thing, but with a piece of film. It wasn't a piece of film. It was a piece of paper. And well, so the piece of paper has some kind of nitrate, silver nitrate or whatever on it that would have a chemical response to have a reflection. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm See, just... this is why I feel like I'm on acid and I haven't even taken any <laughs> today. Well, that's the fun. I'm just problematizing in order to illustrate that there is no fixed definition of a photograph because then, to your point, I would say, well, what about digital photography? There's uh, no chemical interaction there. Right. And so would a photo that you take on your iPhone not be a photo? Oh, that's a photo. Exactly. And not so a good then, one, but it's a photo. So then your definition isn't a fixed one. And so that's the whole purpose. And then when people get esoteric, well, a photograph is about the instantaneous rendering of something in life on some sort of object. Mm -hmm. Sure. But what about duration photographs like Sujimoto, this Japanese photographer who will take photographs of films and open up his shutter speed to the length of the film itself. And so the resulting image is just a blank screen And so we think of it as instantaneous when really it's ours. And so I don't think that photos have to be instantaneous. It's not about the snapshot of life. It's interpretive. It could be about 
objects slowly carving through space. It could mm -hmm. be about instantaneously carving, but it's not only one thing. Well, that's interesting that you said that because I know the first photograph uh, that was on, I believe, pewter, silver nitrate chemical on pewter, was exposed for eight or nine hours as opposed to, you know, to today, which is instantaneously. It's, you know, it's instantaneous. It's within seconds. But the first photo was really that long exposed uh, view of France with little hillsides and buildings. And you could see how exposed it was because even the buildings were captured, you know, were just flooded with light. It was just so exposed because it took so long to create that photograph. Right. And I think that the image that you're talking about is by Nieps and it's the view from his roof. Right. And so you don't see the French hillsides. You just. No, you do see a hillside in the back. You do? Yep. A it, by like a little slewis of hillside. Okay. Awesome. I just and, know so much more about photography than you right now. So this is feeling really good. <laughs> right now, I feel like I'm an expert. I'll let you have your moment. But what's really fascinating to me about that is that every historian will label that the first photograph, which right. is just simply not true. And oh. that doesn't account for all of the experiments. And mm. just because the photograph is not fixed today, did not survive, is not stable, does that mean it didn't exist? And so that kind of goes back to our definition of a photograph. Does it have to be a successful... Well, wait, but hold on. So you're saying, because from what I understand, that was the first photograph, but you're saying it was the first photograph that's still around today. Right. I mean, so there that was other photo other attempts yeah, at photography. Tons. Okay. There were so okay. many people, dozens okay. around Europe, specifically in France and England, who were practitioners of photography. Always the French. It's really annoying how they're, they're anytime they get to something <laughs> first, it's really annoying. Well, we can talk about why the history of photography is credited with the French, but okay. what to me is so exciting to ask is why then? Why mm. is this happening? Why is photography in the waters at the time that it is? Why wasn't this happening in the late 1700s? Why would it be irrelevant toward the end of the 19th century? And so for me, there are two factors that answer these questions. The first would be the Industrial Revolution. Because without the invention of all of these chemicals and mm -hmm. the stabilization of these chemicals, mm -hmm. photography would be an impossibility. Right. And so with the Industrial Revolution came the physical exactitude of the mechanics to make a photograph a photograph. And so mm. we need the chemicals in order to execute. And then the other thing is that coinciding with the Industrial Revolution is the rise of the middle class. And so that kind of gets to the psychology of a photograph, which to me is the best part. In studying photography, I always try to find a practical reason for something and an emotional reason. And for me, the practical reason is the Industrial Revolution. We're able to do things that before, mm -hmm. a decade prior, we mm -hmm. weren't. Mm -hmm. And then the emotional is the rise of the middle class. Because before this moment, who is able to render their self-image in, in some kind of artistic way? Only royalty mm -hmm. or only the wealthiest people? Because they're the ones who can afford to hire a painter to imprint mm -hmm. their faces right. on some kind of surface. Sure. And so imagine, and it's hard for us to put ourselves in this place because photography is so ubiquitous. And now we feel like, well, did a vacation happen if I didn't take a photograph of me on the beach mm -hmm. with a margarita? Right. So at the time, generations of people lived the entirety of their lives without recording what they looked like at all. Mm -hmm. 
And that is just such a wild idea to me. Mm -hmm. And so now with photography, it opened up a space for the middle class to be able to render themselves as the upper class had been able to through painting. But had, but initially, weren't the first photographs like of Abe Lincoln and of the royalty in England, weren't they, uh, weren't they just exclusively for, for the wealthy initially? No. Actually, okay. initially they were for the middle class and okay. the wealthy didn't really mess with it. And is that because the, what's his name, Daguerre? Daguerre? Daguerre, yeah. Daguerre. Because he sold the technology to the government, right? Exactly. Okay, so so, all right, so now we can okay. get back there. Just okay. so many exciting things yeah, I want to uh, talk about. Because it, it, is, <laughs> it is so deep and complicated that we really, even doing one episode on this doesn't do justice to the origins of photography, but it's, it's a nice little crash course. Definitely. And so I think now that we've established the foundation of why, we have this more psychological rise of a particular community of people who are now wanting their self-image to be rendered in some way. And because of the Industrial Revolution, they can. So a lot of people are playing with the concept of photography. And this one guy, a Frenchman named Nieps, he's the one who used a camera obscura to take this photograph from the roof. And right. he didn't quite understand the stopping chemicals. And so mm -hmm. that's why the image is so granulated mm -hmm. because it is in a slow process of developing. Right. So at some point, it's not going to be extant anymore, which is tragic, but also about the impermanence and ephemerality of life. So it's okay. Anyway, he had this assistant named Daguerre and Daguerre worked with Nieps, and then Nieps unexpectedly died, mm -hmm. and Daguerre co-opted all of that research. But he gave it to him, right? Didn't he give him his notes? That's what they say. I don't no? think so. No? Did he so. steal it? Everybody steals. I think he stole. Yeah. And Daguerre was very opportunistic. Voleur! <laughs> en français, c'est voleur, hein? Okay, oh, that, was, that was good. Stealer. Thief, thief, thief. Thief. So Daguerre was really hungry for money and for recognition. And so because of that opportunism, he came up with a brilliant idea. He thought, okay, I'm going to co-op this research, become a voleur, and present it to the French government and say, mm. I'm going to sell this to you for a lifetime pension. And in exchange, you get patent. And so you are going to be credited with the history of this invention. And then basically you can franchise to any itinerant photographer. So that's what happened. Mm. He announced this invention, his own singular invention, because things are sexier when it's done by one person. Sure. And that's why France is credited. And so tons of people who had the wherewithal to work this chemical new tool, they would buy the patent from the government oh and then open up their own daguerreotype studio. Daguerreotype, that's yeah, right. Yeah, of course. That, because that became very famous. Very, very famous. Right. And daguerreotype studios, the proliferation in France is crazy. It went from no awareness of photography to <laughs> on every single street corner. That's crazy. Yeah, and so with technology, you're going to And he just got a pension for that? A lifelong pension. But like... I would have asked for some license fee, man. That would have been. But he called it the daguerreotype, so that's kind of a. Yeah, he got the fame. Yeah, but like, yeah, he got. Think about how much more money he could have got. Like he stole it, <laughs> he went for it, but then he didn't really go for it. Could have had a business. All manager. right, so he could have been better. He could have yeah, been no, sneakier, but it, no, more but it's of a interesting shyster. to think about those moments, right? <laughs> think about those moments of time where. He, he got a lot, he stole it, and he got a life pension, but he could have got a lot more. He anyway, could have. So it became ubiquitous It became France. ubiquitous, and as with any invention or with any new 
technology, you're going to have two groups of people, those who fully embrace it and those who completely fear it and want nothing to do with it. And so I think the upper class in the early years of photography, they fell into the latter camp where they just Mm. didn't need to be rendered because they could afford to get their portrait painted. And photography has never really been considered an aesthetic, energetic, dignified rival to painting. And so for those who can afford to have their portrait painted, they're going to pick that. And and there were also a lot of people like Anwar Daumier, the great French artist who was very vocal about his anti-photography, you know, the rival, <laughs> N- Nader in particular. Right, which is but, funny because, yeah, exactly. So Nadar, this French portrait photographer right. who worked a couple decades after its release date, mm-hmm. I hate saying invention because nothing was invented really instantaneously like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and just a little footnote, Plato was talking about photography in its, in a certain way, 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 way back. Yes, exactly. So that it's was like, the birth yeah. of representation what with was the it, it was the, made. It, it, he came up with the concept. There was no real real machine or, you know, it wasn't able to be implemented, but he had the idea of it. Exactly. And so did Da Vinci. And then the camera obscura, which is a tool often used in the Renaissance Mm -hmm. or really notably used during the Renaissance. For sure. That was invented in 1267. And Vermeer was doing something, you know, later on too. So, but forget about all that. We're, you said so Nadar. about Nadar. Yeah, so Nadar, he photographed Daumier. And so these people are skeptical, <laughs> and yet they're also curious. And I sure. think that that presents an interesting dynamic of, eh, I don't really know what to think about this because I don't know what it is. Right. And to me, it comes back to that definitional issue, is that since there is no definition, how do we understand it if we don't if we can't label it. And that comes to me when I say negative things about photography, it's my own fear. It's me projecting my fear about photography is not art because I fear it. Because it, because it is, there, there, there is, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding because there's a certain truth to, I, you know, we're fast forwarding way, way, way all the way into, you know, my time in, in school, but there is a, there was a compet, a competition and a rivalry between the camera and the paintbrush until this very day, and we saw the extinction of artists like uh, J.C. Leyendecker and Norman Rockwell, who were doing covers of magazines like the Saturday Evening Post, Time Magazine, you name it, and that's being replaced with photography. And certainly in my day, you saw the the beginning and the end of illustration uh, as the only tool in editorial illustration and advertising illustration, and you saw the advent of of uh, photography and Photoshop kind of photo bashing, replacing this whole thing. So you saw the, you know, and, and art always finds a new home as photography comes in and then photography gets extinguished because other things are coming in as well, right? So there's always going to be that rivalry with a painter. And yet you look at Degas who used photography in his compositions. I mean, without photography, you wouldn't have those brilliant compositions with the bathers and all these cafe scenes that Degas did. Same with myself and, and a million billion other artists. You as an artist now have to use photography in, in one or more capacities with your work, whether you're using it as a reference point or whether you're actually integrating it into your paintings, but we're all using photography. So it is absolutely in every single artist's toolbox. Agreed, and it is also... 
an artistic form of expression on its own. It is not just a For tool, sure. but it also is its I own embodied aesthetic. And I think that you're not your as fear, deep as an aesthetic, but you know, a different aesthetic. Right. Not yeah. as good of one. Right. But you're right. <laughs> but I think that your fear is justified. And, and I'm also, saying that from a fearful place. Right. And I really appreciate that, that amount of transparency. Exactly. Yes. And that was a factor and a dynamic with photography and painting from the jump. And when Daguerre released this patent, it all but put miniature artists out of business because mm. why spend all of this money painting mm -hmm. a face when mm -hmm. you could spend a whole lot less and it's, it's basically instant photographing a face. Yeah, that's so, crazy, huh? How I fast know. it just happened. Very and we fast. See, we, see that all, we see that so much where one thing comes in, tech, one technological invention comes in and completely wipes out industry. Like laser discs. Remember laser discs? And then DVDs, when DVDs came, you don't remember this? No, of course I do. Oh, okay. You're looking at me, <laughs> you're looking at me like, like you're confused. Well, well, oh, cause you're saying it wiped out the VHS. Well, the laser disc was wiped out by the DVD. Oh yeah, for sure. It was gone here, gone by. Right. And so that's kind of like these early photographic but every, processes. Everything, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Everything gets wiped out by the new technology. And, and if things are real, like painting, there's always going to be that desire for it. And that's also true with photography because now we're sure. in such a post-photographic environment that people are craving these early moments of photographic expression and are trying to pick up the process of daguerreotypy. And I think that is really interesting to see the results because daguerreotypes are very intricate and complicated to make and they're printed on metal. As opposed so is it to metal or is it pewter? Metal. Metal. Yeah, okay. various types of metal. Okay. And what is most fascinating about a daguerreotype is that it really bucks the traditional expectations of what a photo is, which is a negative positive process. And what I mean by that is that a the photographs that I would take from my little disposable cameras in the 90s, mm -hmm. you would take photographs, print out negatives, cellulose or cellulose negatives, and then from those negatives, I could print as many positives <laughs> no, as I, I wanted. Right. That's crazy, right? You go into any pharmacy and just do that. Yeah, or exactly. anywhere, right. you know what I mean? But that dynamic of the, in quotes, unique object is the negative, and then from that negative, you can have limitless positives. That's really what the traditional photograph is. But a daguerreotype is a negative and a positive together. And so mm. there's only one of any daguerreotype. And so what's cool about that is that it doesn't really conform to the definition of photography because mm -hmm. it is a unique object, just like a painting. Mm -hmm. And daguerreotypes were typically small mm -hmm. because they were printed on metal. Metal was expensive. Mm -hmm. And so in order to appeal to the lower end of the market, you'd have to print in small, small sizes. And you would hold it. And the way that you caught the light would determine whether you would see this ghostly residue of an image, almost like a trace of something, or if you would see it as a positive. So they're mm -hmm. hard to photograph, they're hard to exhibit because there's a kinetic relationship of holding an object and tilting it toward the light. And then later on, uh, Kodak comes in. Oh yeah, that's 1888, so okay. that's I'm way just later to, on. I'm just trying to, okay. <laughs> Well, let's go back a little bit. Okay, so we have Daguerre, and that's the narrative in France. That's what becomes really famous. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a guy, an itinerant photographer, a practitioner in England, who before Daguerre released the patent was also trying to figure out photography. And he called it a calotype. And 
I think that comes from like the derivation of that word is from the Greek word beauty. Mm. And so he saw the photograph more as an aesthetic expression of the world, a way for nature to imprint herself on paper. So instead of using metal that Daguerre did, he printed on paper and paper is a lot more porous. And so the images don't have the same kind of clarity or the depth of field. But Talbot was the guy who invented the negative positive process. So he's playing with all of this as lots of people are. He was a very wealthy man, did a lot of things. This was Mm -hmm. a hobby. And so he put it away. And then Daguerre released this patent and that sparked his own his own motivation and his um, his competitive drive. And so he's like, hey, I did this first and I did it better. Mm. And so that's when the history of photography becomes this dual sharks and jet style snapping race between mm. France and England. Hmm. Can we fast forward to Kodak? Yeah, now? yeah, now or, let's go to or Kodak. Or should we just go right to the iPhone 11 camera? <laughs> Whatever you want. No, and then, uh, no, like you said, and and all of a sudden it does become ubiquitous and everybody's using it and everybody's a photographer and you know people are able to have these, you know, studios and I remember early on at Art Center when I was developing uh film and how crazy it was. You needed all these chemicals to really develop and cultivate these images this is like you know kids today they can't imagine that they can't even imagine how photographs are done anymore because everything is so digitized so kodak comes along right and they have these these disposable cameras where you send it to new york i think they had the kodak rochester rochester well it's new york I mean, not, upstate, not, yeah, not your not New, York, New York, not my New York. New York. You know what I'm talking about right there, though, right? <laughs> not that real New York flavor. So they would send it to Kodak and they would develop it and send it back. And that became kind of this microcosm of what really happened in our generation when we got older and we would hand in the photographs and we would get back the photographs and the, and the, uh, the person handing you the photographs would look at you weird and you'd be like, did you look at my photo? Because I had a weird, <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple naked ones on the roll that you forgot about and you got it oh, back 100%. and they look at you and you're just like, oh my God. That, I mean, you know what I mean? Those days are gone. You don't do that anymore. I mean, coming from just in the last like 20 years, what's happened with photography you know, the 35 millimeter was created like in 1930. I don't even remember. But and 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 now, you know, we're going back. We're going back to these big cameras now and they they can shoot video and it's just endless. I know. It's and what's really old endless. is new again. And I'm glad that you right. brought up the Hasselblad. I remember, you know, kids in my school using Hasselblads, like just old school cameras like there's a there's a need there's a craving there's a desire for the old technology much like there is for vinyl you know people want to play vinyl again you know people want to hear hear it not necessarily on the phonographs but people want to hear it on you know the old school players that's there's a desire for the old because there's a certain uh tactile quality that is lost in the digital images and we can all we can we can texture them and and have some kind of uh, filter on them, but that's not really what it, it doesn't have that same feeling that the old photographs had. And I was lucky enough to, like I said, in high school, I, I created the pinhole camera and in college at art center, I was a illustration major. I got a BFA in illustration, but I was obsessed with photography and video, uh, and film. And so I did take a class with Paul Jasmine, who was a very famous fashion photographer. And so I got my, my hands wet uh, literally in the in the photographic studios with all the chemicals. It wasn't silver nitrate. I don't even know what it was, you know, but there's a whole art process to it that's very, very, very deep just to developing photographs. 
And it, it's, it, you know, it's just like art is and just like Photoshop is. And, you know, photography has such a deep, deep, rich history to every level of it. It's super tech, you know, technological. And just because people are, you know, getting away, you know, snapping shots on their, you know, iPhone 11 and, and putting 8,000 filters on it doesn't mean that there's not still a rich, important history to the process of making. A, a, and I know all these photographers listening will appreciate that because it's deep, man. There's a profound, like, level to to the technical skill of all of this. I agree. And I hope that the takeaway of these the early years, the early moments of photography for you all is that you really ask yourself, well, what are the technological reasons for something and what are the psychological reasons? And what, what do you mean by that? Oh, like what I was saying about the, uh, the invent of photography in the first place. Technologically, it was possible because of one thing and emotionally, it becomes interesting because of another. And so I think that that line of questioning in the photographic world is really helpful in understanding the complexity of what it is that you're seeing and what is the agenda of the photographer, what is the agenda of the patron. And I think that the dialogues that come out are really toothsome, really exciting. And then just to finish, finish, when you talk about Kodak, that's the first major conceptual shift in photography from this is a exchange, a mercantile exchange. You are a person who wants your image on an object. I'm the person who's going to make it for you. To photography is available to anybody. Right. Anybody can be a photographer. Anybody can capture the casual moments of their lives. Mm -hmm. And that has not ended. And so I think when Kodak saw the possibilities of the camera being integrated into the everyday, that really added to the humanity of the camera, but also diminished the artistic reverence for it. Mm, beautifully said. And on that, we close on a conversation that really could go on ad nauseum forever. It's really, it really is a deep, deep, uh, and we're really scratching the surface with this, but everybody out there, follow us on art attack podcast on Instagram. Please leave us a comment. We do this because we love art and history and it is freaking important guys. Just know how important it is. Okay. Peace. <laughs>